Yeah. Hey, Sachin. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, indeed. So, Sachin, before we start this podcast, why don't you introduce yourself? All right. So, uh, my name is Sachin. I'm a first year economic student. I'm Malaysian, but I study in the UK. Um, I study in Lancaster University. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it, I guess. Okay. So could you tell us like, uh, where were you born? How did you grow up? Which school did you attend? Things like what did you study when you were young? What activities did you undertake? What made you decide what to do what you're studying right now? Right. So uh, I'm Malaysian. I'm uh, also a Malaysian Indian. Uh, so that means I'm Malaysian with the Indian heritage. Um, so I was born in the very south of Malaysia, very close to Singapore. Um, I attended primary school uh, at this place called St. Joseph. It's a very famous um, primary school in the, right in the heart of uh, my city. And then I went to secondary school and I, I realized I was very interested in, um, in humanity. So we had a humanity subject, which is you know, like a mix of geography and history. And I did really well in that. Um, and I, I was very active in debating. I was very active in MUN, which is like Mod Model United Nations. Um, and I was very active in the student council as well. I even became president at one, one point. After that, I moved to KL, uh, which is the capital of Malaysia, Kuala Lumpur. Um, I moved there uh, for two years because I was I moved there to do my degree, uh, my pre-U. So I did my A-levels in this place called Taylor's College a uh, very prestigious college in Malaysia. Um, yes, I was there for two years and then I moved to the UK last September to do my degree in economics. Uh, so for my A-levels, my best scoring subject was economics. You know, I, I loved it. I it was, it was my best subject. And um, I've always had a knack for it ever since I was young. You know, my, I, I'd say I'd give credit to my dad. He's always been pumping, you know, economic ideas. We always talk about... Um, you know, different philosophies, different economic philosophies. He's a hardcore right-wing guy. Um, he always told me not to go into the left-wing route. I, I think that I have to give him credit for how I'm thinking now. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much it. And then now um, uh, I, I just finished my first year. I'm almost finishing my first year. Uh, our first year actually got cut because of the coronavirus thing. But then I'm going into my second year um, in September this year. Uh, but I'm back in Malaysia now. Um, and I've got around five months here. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Wow, that is fascinating. So you said South of Malaysia. So does that mean Johor? That's right. How do you know that? Ah, there's the famous Johor military force, right? That the prince heads in Malaysia. Yeah. I'm surprised that you that, actually. Yeah, he was... He's, he, he trained with the Indian Army, by the way, that prince, nice. the young I prince. Know that. You know, I, th I think most uh, Malaysians also don't know that Johor has a, has a, a military force of its own. Yeah, yeah but, I think it's the only Malaysian kingdom, right? Yeah. yeah. Its own force. So yeah. a little That's bit about Malaysia. We have, we have, I, I have around 13 states, uh, mm -hmm. somewhere on that. Um, and then we have three union territories, as what you'd call in India. In Malaysia, we call it federal territories. Uh, same thing. Um, yeah, so Johor is one of the 
states in Malaysia. It's the southernmost part of Peninsula Malaysia. Malaysia is divided into two areas. We have Peninsula Malaysia, which is connected to Thailand. Um, so at the top, we have Thailand. At the bottom, we have Singapore. And then we have um, another part of Malaysia, which is really huge, with only two states called Sabah and Sarawak. Oh. It's in the island of Borneo, and it's connected to Indonesia. So yeah, Johor is one of the is the only state in Malaysia with um, with a military of its own. Yes, you're right. So cool. So okay. So as you said, you mentioned your father somewhere in between. So could you tell us something yep. bit about him? As in, what does he do? How come he ended up influencing you so well? And Right. Okay. So I I think even how I met you was on Twitter, right? Mm. Because I wrote something. I wrote an article on Twitter and it and it blew up. Mm. Um, and um, so basically, I would say he was sort of the 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 engine be, behind the machine that I am today. Um, you know, he really told me. He really educated me a lot on this um, on economics and a lot of other philosophical like ideas and all that. Um, and I was always fascinated by his worldview because he um so a little bit about my, my father he's he was born in malaysia but he studied in singapore which is um you know just uh, a stone's throw away from my house because we live right at the border yeah. of singapore mm. so he studied in singapore um he he he's very very anglicized in a way mm. uh he doesn't speak much tamil so i'm indian and uh we're from i mean our ancestors are from tamil nadu so we speak tamil um, he's very anglicized in that way. He doesn't speak Tamil much, but for some reason, he's very incredibly what you'd call in India. He, you'd call him a very Hindutva guy. Um, he's very extremely right wing. You know, he he doesn't know much about like Hindu practices and whatnot. But he's very into like India's uh, historic past heritage. Um, he's very into you know India's freedom struggle and whatnot. And that always fascinated me because I felt like there was a huge dichotomy between him you know being very anglicized and also another part of him being very hindutva and whatnot so i remember we used to always travel to kl so from johor to kl i'd say it's around three hours um so we used to travel to kl quite often and every time like we'd head back i would look forward to always you know we'd always talk about about uh, history and what how world war ii happened and he'd talk about you know how india helped uh britain in the war and you know when 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 someone's telling that to a kid who's merely nine ten years old, and he he fills your head with full of, you know, abstract stories and whatnot, you really get very interested in this. And that's when I started you know researching more about you know India's past and how how India is what it is today. And I always wanted to rationalize um, my Malaysian identity with my Indian identity, right? So you could say that I somehow, some like somewhere in me, I had like an identity crisis. I was like, am I Indian? Am I Malaysian? Because I studied in an international school uh, in my secondary uh, education. And, you know, most of the teachers there, they came from all over the world. And they never got the idea that Malaysians are very diverse. We, we have, you know, I'd say around 60% of Malaysia is Malay, the ethnic group, the majority ethnic group here. And then I'd say around 25-ish percent, 20%-ish percent are Chinese, ethnic Chinese group. And then the rest are Indians and um, other races, indigenous groups as well. Um, So they never really got the idea of how someone could be Indian and Malaysian at the same time. 
And, uh, you know, I always got, they always made fun of, you know, how I'm Indian and Malaysian, you know, in a joking way. So that always was at the back of my mind. And I think my dad really helped me understand how, how you could rationalize um, and live with this identity of having, you know, two, two separate distinct um, sort of identities, but um, still living a very dignified life. So, yeah, that's, I'd say that's how my dad influenced me a lot in that way. So uh, that was fascinating. Could you tell us about the identity thing that you just mentioned right now? So how do you rationalize this thing? Right. I think, uh, you know, as humans, we tend to always put people in boxes. We tend to always put people in mm -hmm. silos saying, if you're this, you're not that. But I think it's so much more than that, because at the moment you confine people to a certain space, a certain boundary, um, it really limits the amount of potential you can, the potential uh, that you can achieve. Uh, I mm -hmm. like to see of myself, obviously, you know, my identity always, my primary identity is always I'm Malaysian, and I'm very proud of that. Uh, I think I, li I live in a great country, in a great nation, and I wouldn't give that up for anything. But at the same time, um, I also don't refrain from saying that I'm Indian, mm. you know, because it's a part of who I am. It's really uh, a part of if I, 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 I can't detach myself from being Indian the same way I can't detach myself from being Malaysian. But obviously, when I meet someone uh, and they ask me what I am, I'm going to say I'm Malaysian, right? Uh, obviously, the second question would be like, OK, but where are you really from? <laughs> you know, I get that a lot. Even in Malaysia? Um, and yeah. Even in Malaysia? Sorry? Yeah. No, okay. no, 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 no. Malaysia, it's very different in Malaysia because I have, I have a neighbor who's Malay and a neighbor who's Chinese on, on both sides of my house, right? So we are very, very uh, comfortable with this. But I think it's, 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 it's hard for the mm. world to actually understand how diverse Malaysia mm. actually is, right? Because we don't literally, I, I, it's almost like the, the Malay ethnic group is almost just having a majority of like 60%, but in, in a way, we're very, very diverse. Even in the Indian ethnic group, um, obviously the Tamils are the most uh, populous in Malaysia, but you also find Malayalis, you also find uh, people from Andhra Pradesh uh, who are Telugus, you also find many Sikh people, many Punjabi people, you know. Um, so even the Indian diaspora is very, very uh, ethnic, but I think one, oh, very diverse, sorry, but I think one sort of, different um, thing that you'd notice um, from the other diaspora, Indian diaspora in the world, is that in, Indians in Malaysia and Singapore, I'd say, uh, because Malaysia, Singapore is part of Malaysia mm. at one point, Indians in this part of the world, I'd say, are very, very much connected, are very, very much Malaysian as the same way that they are Indian, in a way, because I, I am a fifth generation Indian here, right? My parents didn't migrate here, even my grandparents didn't migrate here. Um, the longest, the high, the person that I, uh, the fifth generation people that I'm, person that I'm referring to is my um, dad's great grandfather, grandma, uh, my dad's great grandmother. Yeah, even she was born, only she was born in India, and they moved over here. So we go like really, we go way back. Um, in a way, we're really steeped in uh, Malaysian culture. That's probably the only difference as uh, if you look at the NRIs in the UK and the US, you know, they, they probably just moved two generations back. And um, yeah, most of the, we moved, well, you can give that credit to the British mm -hmm. Raj yeah. um, in India. You know how they, they transported most of the Tamils mm -hmm. 
from Tamil Nadu to Malaysia for uh, in those days to work in the rubber athletes in Malaysia. Malaysia was one of the biggest exporters of rubber in those days. So, yeah, um, in those days, the Malaysia, the Indians used to flock the rubber estates in Malaysia. You know, they were in charge of most of the estates in Malaysia. And the Chinese used to uh, be in charge of the business while the Malays were very in charge of the administrative um, things in Malaysia, like the army and government um, postings and all that. Mm. So all that has changed. I'd say we are a lot more diverse. We're a lot more uh, interconnected. We are a lot more interdependent. Uh, And yeah, um, I'd say that's how I rationalize being Malaysian and Indian at the same time. That was a great answer, by the way. Yeah, because especially uh, as an Indian, I totally get it because mm-hmm. even in India, we are like many things. No Indian can do one thing. They are just, it's like a soup of identities. And uh, when, when, as an Indian, if an Indian goes abroad, he's asked, yeah. and so yeah. that guy's the soul, you're same. Uh, you're like, ah, not exactly. And then they bring another guy, so you are the <laughs> yeah. same, right? And you're like, ah, not exactly. Yeah. <laughs> How do you go with it? So, because one has to literally go on a one hour long marathon lecture to explain, and no one wants to do that. <laughs> exactly. In fact, I find it ridiculous that we even yeah. have to. Yeah, explain that's right. So, nobody wants to do because, it because it's a long thing. And so, you're yeah. like, okay, you will learn in life. Don't. You just yeah, have to yeah. travel a bit and read a few books. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you spoke about economic philosophies inspiring you when you were still in school. And how that led you to actually go ahead and study economics in the United, in the United Kingdom. So, what are you? What is the economic philosophy? Which philosophers do you follow, or who influenced you the most? And maybe you can give a give an example of or, or give examples of a few contemporary economists who influence you today. Right. So, I think when we talk about economics, right, we often talk about the West and what the West has. Um, given the world and whatnot. But I think many people in the East, especially Indians themselves, they don't realize how much um, how much knowledge there is in India itself in terms of economics. You know, when you talk about Indian literature, most people always, always talk about the Vedas and whatnot because these are the literatures that's very abstract and, it, you know, people don't really understand these things and people just think, you know, India has provided literature that's just hoo-ha and whatnot, like no one really knows what it is. But you'd be surprised to 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 actually learn how much has come out of India in terms of governance, good good governance, in terms of the economy, in terms of urban planning, um, and I think most of those actually flourished during the British Raj when um, when the freedom struggle was happening, right? I think it's very easy for people to just talk about Adam Smith and all these you know Western mm-hmm. economists. Um, I consider myself. Uh, a center-right person. I, I, I always refrain from saying I'm a rightist because, you know, it, it has a connotation of being uh, <laughs> a Nazi <laughs> Hitler person. I you I, this. Yes, I completely disagree yeah. with that notion, by the way. For the purposes of this video, um, yeah, I consider myself uh, center-right. But at the same time, I think, uh, you know, we should really stop looking at the world in a very binary lens that the West has given us like left and right and whatnot, because I always think um, every country's right and left is different from each other, right? We cannot. So if you look at America, the right is very pro um, gun laws and they're very anti-abortion and whatnot, 
right? I would consider myself very right, but I'm I'm against gun laws and I'm pro-abortion. So these things, like if you look at the right in America, they're very anti-LGBTQ laws and whatnot. Mm. I'm, I'm talking about the extreme right. Uh, but in India, it's really not the case. Mm. Like if you look at um, the current uh, government in India, which is the BJP-led government, mm. um, they are considered to be a very right-wing party, but they were the ones that actually... Um, it was under them that the the Indian uh, Penal Code, I think it was the home the de- decriminali- decriminalization of the homosexuality. homosexual law, mm. and that happened. And I think it's also under the BJP government mm. that empowered um, the rights of the transgenders in India, yeah. right? So when you look at these things, you really un- you, you you find out that the mo- the right and the left in each country is very different, mm. right? So I consider myself a very um, uh, a Hindutva rightist in, in the most liberal way possible because I think people think if you're Hindutva, you're very conservative and whatnot. Mm. Um, I believe in uh, in freedom of speech, absolute freedom of speech, by the way. Mm. I am a, I'm a libertarian. Mm. Uh, I think the government should have very minimal control over the people. But at the same time, I believe that the state should be strong and it should be secure. Mm. And the government should do whatever it can to... Um, ensure that and i think that really resonates with um so i talked about indian indian literature on good governance and whatnot i think the most common thing you'd hear is the artha shastra by um chanakya mm-hmm. who was the um a little thing a, a bit about chanakya he was the uh one of the aides mm-hmm. of chandragupta maurya mm-hmm. in in the Mauryan empire who actually built the economy and he wrote the artha shastra he built a really huge empire in india those mm-hmm. in those days um, and he wrote the other, he has the Chanakya Niti and all that. I think it's really imperative for Indians to read these things. In, in fact, I think Arthur Shastra is actually the most used when you talk about good governance. But if you look at, um, if you look at the Shanti Parva of the Mahabharat, when, um, I'm not sure how many of the listeners are Yeah, so we can uh, give a short introduction of Mahabharat. So maybe you can give a short introduction of Mahabharat for our listeners. Well, Sure. So Mahabharata is actually, so India has produced two main um, epics, you could call, uh, in recent history. One is the Mahabharata and one is the Ramayana, obviously. Um, So to give you a little context, the Mahabharata alone is about 10 times the size of um, the two Greek epics. I'm not sure. I think one is... uh, Iliad and Odyssey. uh, Iliad and and, um, Odyssey. Odyssey, Odyssey or something. Yeah. It's 10 times as big as that. So that's how much knowledge and information is in uh, Mahabharata alone. Um, and I've not even gone into the Ramayan. Uh, Mahabharata is basically, in a very layman term, a uh, very layman word, um, it's basically a feud between cousins. And um, it's basically a, a feud between two sets of cousins who who are fighting over a kingdom. And uh, they're... The one side is the hundred Kauravas and the other side is the five Pandavas. And um, at the end, so you know how many people talk about the Bhagavad Gita, but many people don't actually know the Bhagavad Gita is actually one of the chapters in Mahabharata mm. itself. And um, the Bhagavad Gita is basically just a conversation between uh, Krishna and Arjuna, who is the third Pandava. Uh, it's just a conversation between them about, uh, you know, what is the rule of law, what is Dharma. Uh, and a lot of uh, important things about yoga, about karma yoga, bhakti yoga, and whatnot. And I can go into that later on. Uh, so the Mahabharata is basically a, a very long text, a text um, 
and you know, I, I always I always read commentaries on the Mahabharata, and I think I, I found one which really stuck by me. It, you it, you can find every type of character in the world that you'd encounter, every type of person you'd be able to find it in the Mahabharata, because the amount of characters, the diversity among characters itself, and it teaches you how to deal with these characters, how to deal with yourself. Um, so I think people should really refrain from using Mahabharata as a religious text. Use it more as a as a text to just help you gain knowledge. Um, so yeah, coming back to the Mahabharata, uh, if you look at the Shanti Parva, it, it's um, basically about Bhishma, who is this you know patriarch of this uh, of the cousins, right? Mm. He fights on the side of the Kauravas, and on the I, I'm not sure what day he dies. The, I think the Mahabharata war goes on for 18 days or something like that, mm. and he dies around you know towards the end. And um, he lies on his deathbed, and um, uh, Yudhishthira goes to him. Yudhishthira is the first of the Pandavas. And he goes to him and he asks uh, Bhishma, you know, about governance, about corruption, a lot of things that you'd, you'd, you wouldn't think of uh, that would come out of the Mahabharata. And if you actually read these, I haven't finished it fully because it's a really long test, hmm. text. So, um, so you actually read it? Right. Sorry? So you have actually you actually read it the entire Mahabharata? I must say I haven't read I haven't read the full form of the Mahabharata, right? Because okay. it's it's really, really yeah, it's lengthy. Read, yeah, it's 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 unbelievably huge, in fact. That's so, why I got scared when you I'm like, wow, he's reading Mahabharata. No, I haven't read the full text, but I, obviously I, I know the story, I've watched videos on it, I've I've yeah. just read like the summarized versions of it. Um but yeah, so I'd say my economic philosophy, you could say, I, I wouldn't say I have one philosophy. I'm still very young. I, 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 would, I wouldn't want to stick on one now. But I'm a very um, rightist person, rightist, center-right, you'd say. And I believe in um, the concept of a strong state, but a state that does not um, uh, indulge in people's lives. Hmm. That makes a lot of sense. And... Uh, but you are right now studying economics in UK, and that you must be coming yep. across these modern philosophers from Adam Smith to John Milton and all these guys, Milton Friedman, I'm sorry. And so do you uh, somehow feel comfortable with their works? Like, do you relate to it? Like liberal economics or the modern liberal economics that's based on free markets? Right, so um, I actually started when I first started my degree, I was doing PPE, which is um, politics, politics, philosophy, and economics. Um, but then I changed on to just pure economics later in a few weeks later because I wasn't interested. I mean, I was interested, but I, I wasn't. I didn't know if I wanted to do that for three years. Um, and that's when we actually, I, I haven't, we haven't gotten really into, um, you know, uh, economic theories and whatnot. We're very because I'm doing pure economics. We're very into math, mathematics and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but in my in my short time there, uh, we did uh, we didn't learn much about the economic philosophers. In my, in sense, we learned more about um, political philosophers like um, Hobbes and um, Locke and all those people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the right word to use is not really right left or whatever. It's conservative and liberal. Um, you know, Adam Smith and all. You could say that they were, yes, they were very into free markets and um, lesser uh, state interference. Uh, but I think they all fall under the conservative worldview, um, 
which is um, which is where the free market and all come in, and that's that resonates with the the American right right wing currently, which is the Republicans and whatnot. Um, I'm a big proponent of uh, free markets. I'm a big proponent of uh, no government interference in the in the daily lives of the people. Uh, but I must admit, I haven't really gotten. Uh, deep into these people's uh, philosophy and whatnot, but I I have read a little bit of Marx and um, just a little bit of the communist literature, very very basic, and um, I must say I really don't agree with that. That's that's all I can say at this point. Yes. So if I may just interject, are you want to complete something? No, no, no. Go ahead. Yeah. So growing up in Malaysia, did you come across Marxists or communists or people who are ardent socialists. Did you come across such, um, how do I say, such groups or such individuals, or even in UK or maybe some other country or anywhere, have you come across such people while growing up or as a kid that today you might identify them as uh, communists or socialists or Marxists? Well, um, I don't think I've really um, found myself uh, talking about communism and whatnot in Malaysia. Yes, we are very, we are not a communist country for sure. Uh, we do have some socialist policies, but at the, in the, in general, we're, we're very uh, libertarian. We're very, I wouldn't say libertarian, but we're very into free markets and whatnot. Um, but in the UK, yes, I've, uh, you know, obviously the, the recent elections in the UK, yeah. uh, which brought Boris Johnson with a thumping majority. Uh, yes, I have encountered a lot of, I wouldn't say Marxist, but very left-leaning yeah. people because you know, like the place that I them radical liberals. Yeah, yeah, you could say radical liberals. <laughs> I think you know, for the lack of a better term. <laughs> yes, you know the um, you a very good distinction I think uh, pe- uh, between liberals and conservatives. You know, people always think conservatives are very uh, hesitant to change and old-fashioned and whatnot. Whereas liberals are the new future, um, I like. I I think you you have to understand that liberals their worldview is very revolutionary. Uh, they think the world can be changed in a second. They think there has to be a revolution to you know change this world and whatnot. And the, that's the stark difference between conservatives and liberals, right? Is that conservatives actually don't believe in that. They believe in um, a very slow change. But I think I agree with this worldview because it's I I think it's the least violent, yeah, and it's it's, it's the least violent, and it's also uh, something that will last longer. So if you look at uh, communist countries uh, during the Cold War, how uh, you know if you look at Vietnam and Cuba and Korea and whatnot, um, the rise of communism, but everything sort of disintegrated in a few years because one they were extremely violent. A lot of bloodshed. If you look at China, um, the Great Leap by um, mm. Chairman Mao. Uh, if you look at Vietnam, I mean, it's, it's the only war that America has lost so far. That is true. But the amount of violence that it brought, it was just outstanding. Uh, if you look at Cuba, if you look at the Cuban Missile Crisis, you know, it, it just brought uh, a substantial amount of unnecessary violence, which I think uh, what the left does not realize is this, you know, revolutionary worldview really does not help the world. Uh, so yes, I have encountered these types of people in the UK because, you know, Lancaster, the place that I study is a very um, labor area. I wouldn't go so far to say that labor is a very 
that the Labour Party is a left, it is a left-leaning party, but I wouldn't call it Marxist or whatnot. But I, I have encountered many people in the UK that are extremely left-wing and just, you know, I just disagree with everything that they say. <laughs> I disagree with their core principles, in fact. But um, yeah, but, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I've, I haven't met anyone who's violent in their ideas you know what at the end of the day we talk we fight and then we go grab a drink it's really not a big deal at all and i think that's what be- that's what's beautiful about being in a diverse country uh being in fact being in a country that allows you to to speak freely like malaysia like india like the uk you know mm-hmm. um yeah but no i haven't really encountered any malaysian Marxist, you could say, you know, I don't think it's even a big topic here in Malaysia because our political system is just completely different. <laughs> no one really talks about Marxism or, or, mm. or free markets or whatnot, but uh, unlike India or the UK, but mm. yeah. Okay, so no young influences that pushed you towards where you are. No Marxist influences. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Okay. No, I thought, was it a reaction against someone making life bad for you? So, well, yeah, no, I, I wouldn't say well, that it was a, it was a joke. No, but you, it's kind yeah. of right. It, it might be a reaction from uh, some of the Indians that I, so if I can, I'd, I'd like to talk about the Twitter yeah. and all that. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, so when I started, so uh, I think you, you were right in saying that it, it might be a reactionary like I might, I might have started gotten into it after coming on Twitter. You know, Twitter is actually a very, it can be a very toxic place, uh, but it's mm. also a place where I gained a lot of insight. I met a lot of people. In fact, I think I met you on Twitter as well. Uh, yeah. I met a lot of people. I made a lot of friends on Twitter because of how big the my account got in a very short time. Uh, so basically, a little um, history about my Twitter account. So I started. My, I started actively posting on Twitter last March, uh, so tw- 2019 March, been a little over a year now, where the first one I tweeted was uh, was me predicting predicting the election results in India. And I, I, I would say I got pretty close. I predicted 290 seats for the BJP and they got 303 seats, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, that tweet kind of got a little viral. It would, I wouldn't say viral, but it, it, it blew up a little. And then, you know, exams hit and I, I wasn't into Twitter or whatnot. And then I went to, uh, I had, we, me and my family, we went on a trip to India uh, during the summer of 2019. Uh, so we went around Tamil Nadu. Uh, we went to our ancestral village. Uh, you know how in Tamil Nadu, I'm not sure in the rest of India, but we have um, something called the Kula Devam, which is basically where yeah. each of our village has one god one each yeah 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 that's the same in my case as well yeah oh really i don't know the rest of india but it's in my case as well i see yeah so we um so we, i hadn't really gone to my ancestral village up to that point so we just went to you know uh show up give prayers and whatnot and then uh, we went on a pilgrimage trip just around Tamil Nadu, you know going around the prominent temples and whatnot and uh so yeah so i started taking pictures of these temples. And I was really, for some reason, I was just very into these temples. You know, I was just so surprised how they could build such huge monuments in, in, um, in a very short amount of time in those days. I mean, how would they have gotten the technology to sculpt, to, you know, sculpt the idols, to, you know, carry huge rocks like those in, in the 12th century, 10th century AD and all that. 
So oftentimes, like when I take the pictures of all these things and I go on the internet and I really research a lot about it and then I'll write it down and then I realize why not just start on, start my Twitter again, just post these pictures and see what happens. Um, because Tamil Nadu, you know, they're really, I, I, I don't get the Tamil people sometimes, you know, they have such treasures in their country, but they never seem to, I mean, in their state and they never seem to highlight these things. Uh, so I thought, you know, why not just um, try something different and just talk about the temples in Tamil Nadu. So I, I posted my first picture. It was about the Sri Rangam temple. Um, it was, it's, I think it's the biggest temple complex in the world uh, that's still functioning. Uh, the one that's not functioning and the biggest in the world is actually Angkor Wat in Cambodia. Mm-hmm. But this is the biggest temple complex in the world that's still functioning. And um, yeah, I just took a picture of the Gopuram, which is the the entrance to the temple. Uh, and it got a lot of um, traction. Uh, prominent people like um, Shef Ali Vaidya and Madhu Kishwar, all these huge Twitter celebrities, you know, um, they retweeted it and whatnot. And then, you know, obviously when you're getting a lot of attention, you'd want to do more, right? So I kept yeah. I kept on just taking pictures of more and more temples. So another one was the Atana Dishwa temple. I can talk more about this later, but yeah, um, it was a temple in the hilltop. Uh, it was the only temple, I think it's one of the only temples in the world with the main uh, idol, the idol in the Mulastanam, which is the primary uh, sanctum, as both male and female. So it's the male and female aspect of Shiva, which is Atanadishwar, which is very interesting to me because, you know, I, I we'd like to think that Indians those days were very conservative and no one would actually think of these abstract ideas. But, you know, clearly it's not the case, right? So I thought that was very interesting. And then after that, we went to the Brahma Pureshwar temple, uh, also in Tamil Nadu. And, you know, the stories of this temple, God, it's just so mind-blowing, you know, how how Lord Brahma um, create, you know, sculpted 12 lingams for Lord Shiva in this same temple. And they had all 12 lingams scattered around the temple. It was very interesting. Now, whether or not he did it is secondary, right? But the fact is that these stories have lived for aeons in India, that's what I think has to be commended. So I took pictures and I wrote a lot of stories and I, lo- I wrote the stories, the history and um, whatnot. And that got a lot of traction. Um, I think what's also, what has to be noted is how these temples survived the invasions, um, you know, yeah. the Islamic conquest of the um, British Raj and what, I'll talk more about that later, but yeah. And then after the summer, trip I took I came back to Malaysia and uh, I was just preparing to leave for the UK so I didn't have much time and then last December last uh, I'd say this was a month ago actually uh, when all the coronavirus thing was popping up I think many Indians would know about this I think some Malaysians as well Um, a very prominent British economist called um, named Jim O'Neill I think he was the guy that coined the term BRICS uh, Brazil Russia Uh, India, China, and South Africa. So I think he uh, came out on media and he said, thank God the virus didn't originate in uh, India. Uh, And for some reason, it just pissed me off so much because it's it's very rich of these people to just say these words that come off their mouth, but without actually looking into their own backyard, right? Like, I mean, look at how the Western countries are dealing with this. It's really not um, easy. So I wrote a really long thread um, debunking all the myths about India and how India has the biggest healthcare insurance 
program in the world, you know, how India has um, been very proactive dealing with the coronavirus thing. And that just blew up, man. I mean, I, I had no clue it was going to be this big. I mean, I, 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 it even came out in a newspaper in Marathi, uh, in the Maharashtra. Yeah. I mean, that, that was just unbelievable for me, you know. So, uh, yeah, after that happened, you know, I really got a huge, huge amount of followers uh, overnight. And then I, a lot of opportunities uh, presented itself as well. And I think I missed, I missed something as well. So after last summer, after the Indian trip last summer, I, uh, I was approached by this Indian startup uh, uh, media company called Awaken Indian. And they pretty much just asked me if I was interested to write for them, you know, I, and I thought, you know, why not? I mean, it was a summer, I had a lot of time. So that's, I also started writing about um, the forgotten freedom fighters of India. So I, I wrote about, you know, when you think of freedom fighters of India, you most, mostly think about Gandhi and Nehru and Patel and Chandrasekhar Hazar and uh, Subhash Chandra Bose and whatnot. But many people don't actually realize the kings and queens that fought for India. And mostly, you'd be surprised, the, the, the female uh, rulers, the queens of India. And, you know, when you think of queen, most people always, talks about, um, always talk about Rani Lakshmi Bai, right, of Jansi. But I actually wrote about um, Rani Velunachiar of um, Siva Ganga, which is in Tamil Nadu, how she fought the British. Um, I wrote about Rani Abaka Chauta of Ullal, uh, which is part of Karnataka now. I wrote about uh, Martanda Varma of Travancore. Uh, there's a really interesting story mm-hmm. about him. I, if you want, I can go yeah. into that later. But yeah, so I wrote about these people and um, that also got a huge traction. And so I'd say my Twitter journey has just been different things that I'm trying to uh, try out. And it, it's just been a success so far. And I'm, I'm really grateful for everyone who's, um, who supported me. Yeah. But yeah, that's pretty much how I got into like this Twitter thing and whatnot. Well, a big um, hands up and how do I say? Best of luck with Twitter and I'm happy for you and congratulations and keep going strong. Thank you. That's what I would like to say. Thanks. Yeah, because even that, I would say, because you became big on Twitter, that's how I came to know of your existence. Mm-hmm. And that's how I contacted yeah. you. So yeah, Twitter, uh, maybe a toxic place, but yeah, it allows us to connect with people and it allows us to know exactly. things. Like when you wrote many things, uh, I might not have come to those conclusions that you put forth on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I might have just seen something and passed mm-hmm. on. But you actually said, oh, this could mean this as well. Yep. And then, yeah, so that's where... No, I think you're saying a very important point because Twitter actually revolutionized the entire digital media's feed, right? You you can't simply put out any mm. fake news because everyone has the right yeah. to, uh, to call speak. you down. Yeah, exactly. Everyone has the right. Yeah. It's really the democratization of social media is Twitter, I'd say, mm. because everyone can just yeah. uh, come out with something and someone else can come out with something and prove you wrong. So it's it's very it's very I'd say that's that's the part of Twitter that it, that is very that, that I appreciate a lot. Yeah, but, I couldn't agree with you more because how do you say earlier days uh, the narrative used to be very linear. Mm-hmm. It used to be very monolithic. It used to be very yep. strong because there used to be one truth and everybody used to latch onto it because everybody wants to how do I say uh, they want to be seen as those standing. With yeah, and people. if you don't follow so that truth, you are you are wrong. You know, you, uh, yeah, you are, you are not strong, you yeah, are evil. You, exactly. <laughs> Out yeah. here, you are trying to rebel. Yeah, that's very weird. And now, luckily, it's that 
uh, people are willing to listen yeah, as well. Yeah. Like people are willing to revise their views as well. Like, okay, I was wrong. When they see the outburst, they tend to comply. They tend yeah. to agree. From and that's nice uh, because I think the greatest freedom is to have the freedom to revise one's own views, one's own thoughts. One's very own well ideas. Yeah, exactly. Greatest freedom that because otherwise, if you have the freedom to choose this or that, and once you take one, you are stuck permanently. I think that's not freedom. That's like yeah. Which and I think that's also great humility in someone coming out and saying, "Okay, I was wrong." You know, I I I, yeah. I shared something that was wrong, and I think that's that's very admi- admirable if someone does that. Yeah, yeah, I fully agree. That's uh, and I think that should become part of uh, debating uh, culture of argument. this should become a part of that to have that humility to acknowledge that i was wrong and if there is something right point to it point out to yeah. that see yeah. guys this is the right thing i was wrong please check out this this is the exactly. right thing. this is the right version yeah. and i think people these days are doing that and it's so great to know that it's happening yeah. because when i was young we used to have a truth and when there was that truth was challenged we were all supposed to go out and fight yeah. for that truth but now it's like analyze whether it is i mean you know i have to analyze. say that has been the 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 way in most places of the world even in malaysia um but i think now it's a lot it's changing a lot i mean in india you know with all the the the, the trash in your uh history textbooks sorry to say mm. but some things yeah. that i've read yeah, in your I textbooks think... are just absolutely not the case mm. you know um and it, yeah. and i think most of that is because of you know the 50 years of Mar- marxist rule that you had um because <laughs> I don't mean to be I don't mean to be harsh. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. You, this is why to speak. I I would say you have right No, yeah, harsh. but yeah. why I meant that mind. the liberal ecosystem, you know, in the media, they claim to be the 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 torchbearers of freedom of speech and what not. But if someone does not follow their worldview, you're automatically labeled as, you know, uh, a communal or you're wrong or you're not educated as if they have the only right to be the intellectual in the in the debate. uh you know i've i've myself seen history books in india with um pages and pages of the mughal history in india which obviously has to be taught i'm not saying no but what about the millions of other kingdoms in india that has you know helped uh grow the empire helps civilizations um flourish what about the vijayanagara empire what about the pandyas the cholas the ahoms in assam the kashmir yeah. empire i mean it's 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 just it's it's very very wrong to reduce india to yeah. to something that to to just one empire which is the mughal empire because india has really a lot to give the world you know and I, yeah that's mm. I, i completely agree with you on that and i and i sympathize with you yeah. that you had to go through that yeah uh, how do i say it back then uh, I, and i would like to agree with you uh, india has so many stories there's so much history even if that cannot be covered at least they should knowledge that exactly. in this textbooks see guys this is just a small portion of the bigger history to tell the kids the young impressionable minds that guys this is history and this is only it it's how do i say it is very shocking when the same kid goes out at the age of 26 mm. 27 let's say he goes abroad and let's say a british guy or an american guy trashes him about indian yeah. history and this guy knows absolutely nothing because he just read a few things and he thought that was it and you know These days one can you know history is always written by the victors whether you like it or not the day the lion yeah. learns how to write 
is when the hunter will not be glorified. Because if the hunter keeps writing history, he's always going to say, I'm the greatest man, I killed this lion. But because the lion does not know how to write it, yeah. it cannot create its own narratives, right? right. So I think it's, it's very mm -hmm. important that Indians start learning. And I think, you know, when I did history, I did a history, IGCSE history. I'm not sure how it works in India. I know it's mm -hmm. not the case in Malaysia. But um, what we had the choice to choose what we want to learn, right? So they gave us very, the basic... Oh. Of history, you know, we all had to learn World War One, World War Two, but then we all had the choice to learn to decide if you want to go depth into Germany or if you wanted to go depth into the Cold War or if you wanted to go into depth in um, the uh, the Six Day War in Israel. We had the choice to choose, um, you know, which topics we wanted to go in depth with, which I think is a very good. Um, yeah, it is. A, uh, it is much. It is a improvement over what we have mm. in other places. Yeah. yeah, I fully agree with you. But yeah, I have a small question. See, you said that when you went through the Indian textbooks, you found a lot of trash there. Could you give a few examples of what kind of trash you came across? Uh, okay, so there was one where, I, I can't remember the specifics of it, but I think there was one where it said mm. that Vasco de Gama found India. You know, that, that story mm. of Vasco oh. de Gama. Oh, yeah, I get it. It sounds you funny, mean, right? Vasco de Gama You mean to say India. that there was no India before Vasco de Gama came? Before that? And, you know, to even to even create the notion that, you know, imagine a kid in yeah. India, you know, at 10, 11 years old, thinking that a, a white man discovered his own country. And then, you know, maybe the teacher would say, no, the textbooks are wrong. Vasco de Gama found the sea route to India. But even that was wrong. I mean, if you actually yeah. read real history, Vasco... Yeah, there was a Gujarati guy. Yes, exactly. He was guided by an Indian in the boat uh, who was in Africa. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's... Yeah, he was in the Zanzibar coast. I mean, if you ask any any um, kid in India, they would come up with all the 12 or 13 Mughal emperors, you know, uh, Aurangzeb and uh, Babur mm. and... Yeah, I remember we used to buy half that in classes from Babur yeah, to Aurangzeb. Exactly. Yeah, the great and we, we remember that we and and when it came to our uh, the indigenous kings we just know okay there's Cholat yeah. one there is Raja Raja yeah. one and there is uh, Gangai Kondavan there is Madurai yeah. Kondavan but we wouldn't actually get exactly. what happened we you know it, it, it's okay don't exactly yeah it's okay happened. if they want to talk about the Mughals but they should give the kids the choice to to know what they want to learn mm. i mean even it's really a shame yeah. you know that even kids i can i mean i can only speak for tamil nadu for most most of the part but even kids in tamil mm. nadu don't really understand how many uh, chola kings there were you know that cholas are divided into three segments the mm. sangam period and the medieval period and all that i mean how many kids know that and the mm. the chola influence in the entire southeast asia i mean i'm living in malaysia you know um and the yeah. influence of Indian sanctification of the Malayan Peninsula and all that. How many of people? How many Indians know that? Um, and you know, yeah. that's really a glory that people should talk about. Why are they not talking about it? And all I, all I can say is it's because of the Marxist history historian that you glorify. My sympathies <laughs> but, with you. Uh, you know, I, I, I can't. I'm also faulting the current government, the BJP government. I mean, they've been in power for six years. What yeah. have they done? I think the they're done. Yeah, they had. They yeah, I think before. the um, HRD minister. I think was Prakash Javadekar. I think if I'm not mistaken, he was, mm. or was it Ravi Shankar? Yeah. I'm not sure. One of them. They 
they came out yeah. publicly saying proudly that they that they haven't touched the textbooks as if it's a it's a good thing that they have not changed the history you know <laughs> i was just <laughs> oh i wasn't aware of that i wasn't aware i'll go to yeah, the I, was, okay. i was astounded by this nonsense i mean <laughs> and you know whatever okay. i'm saying minuscule of <laughs> yeah i get it yeah but see this is also like conversation we are not prime ministers but yeah i get it yeah. it makes total yeah, sense exactly. what you're saying uh, i would agree with you definitely <laughs> so yeah yeah so if i come back to another thing so as you grew up in malaysia and there have been these great kingdoms in southeast asia which are strong in indian influences like the sri vijaya yes or the uh, suvarnabhumi kingdoms yep. in thailand uh and even the former kingdoms of malaysia themselves uh they used to be a very strong indian influence we can also see especially the influence came from uh tamil nadu andhra coast and much of the rest of india as well because we see that the cultural influences that exist in southeast asia they tend to be from diverse the thora of what exactly. indian culture came to offer and i wouldn't say this was outside the indian culture it was yeah. one big culture and each of them were constituents they yeah. were all constituents india has as much of a role in it as maybe say malaysia or indonesia or laos exactly. or cambodia had a role in it because the biggest temple also is not in yes, india and the biggest cambodia, and the biggest and so i wouldn't the biggest murugan statue is actually in malaysia not even in tamil nadu you know Yeah. It's in Malaysia. The golden, the golden one, yes. One. In in front of which Bat cave is, is it? Yes, it's called Bat cave, right? In front of Yeah. Okay. So wow, that's nice yeah. to remember all that. How ah, when did I read it? it a long time ago. <laughs> so yeah, I could think that uh, all of these were mere equal partners in a bigger cultural how do I say? Let's say call it a cultural soup. So these were all bigger partners. I would say even India claiming that we were the senior partners like a bit Okay, yeah. but not that right. Maybe they can say it because culture now ends up residing much of it in India. But I would say much of it is still alive in Southeast Asia, and I guess these countries are equal partners when it comes to. I think it, that culture partners is not even the right word. They were major collaborators, you know. They really collaborated on each yeah, collaborated, uh, yeah. ideas, and it's really a mix of uh, it's a beautiful mix of cultures. I mean, if you go to Bali now, they very much practice Hinduism. I'd like mm. to talk about that later, but. they very much practice hinduism but it's very different from how they do it in india right because they the balinese they actually mm. uh, include their own um uh versions of uh, hinduism which I, which is beautiful if you think about mm. yeah but yeah yeah so so yeah i wanted to ask about you so growing up uh, how much do you think the influences of the sri vijaya kingdoms or the majapahit empire how much of it do you see did you see growing up as a kid or maybe even today how much of it do you see the influence of majapahit sri vijaya right so um if you look at uh, malay malay itself as a language right it has it's very 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 incredibly sanskritized okay. it's incredibly um you can find a lot of similarities uh between sanskrit and malay tamil and malay in fact i mean a, f- a few examples if if you want to say ship in malay you'd say it's a, it's kapal in Mal- in tamil you'd say kapal uh, you'd say man- mm. manga in um uh tamil for mango and it's also manga in uh, malay 
the, and the, the, the influences well, are just astounding if you think about it. So that's one. Linguistic-wise, um, Malay has been uh, influenced a lot by Sanskrit and Tamil. And then if you look at um, uh, one of our states in Malaysia, uh, we, uh, one of our northern states is called Kedah, right? And um, Kedah is said to have hmm. uh, come from the word Kedaram, which is a Tamil word. Um, it is connected uh, through Thailand. And uh, in Kedah, if you go, there is an archaeological site called Lamba Bujang, where you find huge... Um, uh, like almost a civilization of people who might have lived there. And you see Buddhist statues, you see Hindu statues, um, you see a lot of these prehistoric statues if you go to uh, this place called Lamba Bujang in Kedah. So that's one. Um, in When I was studying history in Malaysia, uh, so I'm pretty sure many of you know about the state called Malacca. Malacca is actually the state, um, you know, the Straits of Malacca. Mm -hmm. That's where it it's called Straits of Malacca because the mm -hmm. Straits actually pass through Malacca, which is a state in Malaysia. Um, we it is said that the the founder of Malacca, his name is actually called Parameshwara, who is if if in Tamil Parameshwara is base is basically mm -hmm. um, Lord Shiva, who is the god of gods basically, right? Um, okay. Like how you'd say Maheshwara and all that. These are all just different names for Shiva, and he is actually said to. Uh, uh, said to have been formed the kingdom of Malacca in those days, the first king of Malacca until he converted to Islam. Uh, that's when the Islamization of uh, Malaysia actually happened. So these are, you know, huge influences in Malaysia. In fact, even Singapore, which is, which it, the root of its name is Singapuram, which is a Tamil word, which is um, lion king, uh, lion, yeah, lion. Uh, kingdom, right? And uh, yeah. Okay, and there's so actually no, kingdom. if you think okay. about it, there are no lions in Singapore. Okay. There are no lions in Sri Lanka. But why do you think Sri Lanka has a mm -hmm. lion in its flag? Mm -hmm. It's all because of the Chola, Chola influence in those days, oh. right? Even the Sri Lankans, they, if you look at the Mahavamsa of oh. the Sri Lankans' um, mm -hmm. historic text, you'd find that um, they, I'm not sure if it's Mahavamsa, I'm pretty sure it's Mahavamsa, but I have to check on it. Uh, they, they, call themselves the their lineage they is supposed to be from a kalinga king so a kalinga king i think his name was prince vijaya mm. he was exiled from his kingdom and he took about 800 men or so and he came to the to an island uh, full of yakshas and he cleared the island of the yakshas and he created a kingdom which is what is called modern day sri lanka uh, you know the the king who built the angkor wat Whose, his name is Surya Varman. You know, Angkor Wat was initially a Vishnu temple, uh, which and then it got converted to a Buddhist uh, Buddhist uh, shrine. So the the influences are enormous if you think about it. Um, but yeah, this is these are the few influences that I can think about. I'm sure there's a lot more. Uh, if you think if you there's even a story uh, of a of a of a Hindu king of Philippines. Can you believe as far as Philippines, uh, where he got Wow. Yes, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I can't really think of the of name it. now, but basically the story goes that he fights for his kingdom uh, and then he's converted to Christianity uh, by the one of the conquerors. But yeah, it, it, it really goes that far. In fact, you'd be that the Koreans, you know, the Koreans actually, uh, a huge part of Koreans, they yeah. uh, attribute their lineage to um, a kingdom in India called Ayutta. 
which people think is present day ayodhya mm. it is said that a princess from ayodhya uh, you know uh, sails to korea and she marries the king there and he is the one that um uh, um makes a kingdom of what is called present day korea so the these even if you go to japan i mean there are you can see huge ganesha statues in japan and the japanese actually pray to uh, saraswati a lot uh, obviously they they call them of different names but the the etymology and the lineage is all very similar so these are just a few influences that, that i can think of but you can imagine if i'm saying all these uh, just right out of, out of my mind you can imagine the amount of things that i missed as well and you can imagine how much more we don't know so i think it's also very important that india not just indians but india in, invests uh, money invests time into all these um, into you know really excavating the truth out bringing back all the stolen statues around the world uh you know this is how you become a soft power of the world it's not necessarily about economics military and what not but it's about getting into the minds of people and explaining how explaining your way of life explaining how big you were in the past so yeah this is as much as i can think of as now yeah that was pretty amazing it was like a two divorce <laughs> through southeast asian imagine I must say I'm not like that. So, yeah, um, it is great to listen to all not, that. I am not I haven't even traveled uh much in Southeast Asia, but I would really love to. And maybe we can make a trip of our own. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sure. Sorry? And uh, I didn't get your last line. I said maybe we can make a trip of our own together. So what do you say? Southeast maybe Asia. we can make a Yeah, sure. I say you can go to so something on those lines. So uh, in Southeast Asia, which only Singapore and Indonesia, yeah, apart only, from Malaysia and Thailand. So countries. Wow. Okay. So yeah, that's a good number. So wow. So and in Malaysia, how many so, states? So okay, let me just count. We have Johor, Melaka, Negeri Sembilan, Selangor, Perak, Penang, Kedah, Perlis, Kelantan, Terengganu, Pahang. Sabah Sarawak 13 No I wish I had I've visited a yeah, majority of them I do, I think I left out of uh, about 3 or 4 states that I haven't visited yet hmm. Okay so yeah you have visited pretty good amount of them so in Malaysia yep, and sure. I'll just come back to Malaysia for a few questions about Malaysia uh, in Malaysia how do you travel so is it like train or does uh, Malaysia have a amazing green well, um, all of our major cities in each states are connected by flight uh, the tickets are pretty cheap if you book early we i wouldn't say we have a very expansive railway network as you'd find in india uh, i think india actually has the largest railway network in the world so we're not going to compete with that <laughs> yeah 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 but um yeah, no i would i think yeah. the most popular mode of transport is just driving uh, we have great highways uh we also take the bus a lot the buses are really cheap here mm-hmm. i mean compared to the uk uh where i mean that's the only country i've reference of of traveling by bus and train we're pretty cheap uh we do have mm-hmm. trains but they're not as popular i'd say but in major cities like um penang i think penang and even uh, in kuala lumpur which is the capital we have a great uh lrt mrt these sort of metros in place that are very well connected uh but yeah you should you should make a trip one is it's, it's you'd, you'd love it here 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm asking. That's why I'm asking. <laughs> so can I take a, can I take a train let's say from the state that's near Thailand and come all the yes, way to Yeah, I'm pretty sure there's a train in Singapore. Is there a train line There's a train all from Thailand to Singapore. I'm pretty sure there's it. Can you hear me? Hmm? Hello? Yeah. Yeah, I can Sorry, hear you now. Did you hear me just now? There's some network issue. Hello? Yeah, um uh, I'm yeah, pretty sure can you can travel you? from Thailand to Singapore. I I I don't know which network it is, but the I'm sure that's a train. Yes, there is one. I'm yeah, but sure. there's a train there, right? Okay. Wow, that's so cool. And uh, if uh, I'm yeah. to ask you about something that's a bit unrelated to all this, like uh, growing up, I was always very clear that there's a strong Chinese. Uh, how do you say? Yeah. Uh, ethnic Chinese group presence in Malaysia. For instance, we get to wow. see like Michelle Yeoh, the famous actress, and all that. So I'm surprised like you know she's Malaysian. Yeoh, Many she... people don't know that. Ah. Ah, yeah, I think pretty much a good number of people would know that. Uh, yeah, so there are these celebrities uh, in Malaysia. So apart from Michelle, are there like more Chinese, ethnic Chinese uh, celebrities in Malaysia? I say, I'm, or, I'm not really yeah, uh, well-versed in the celebrities of Malaysia and all that. But yes, there are a lot of Chinese people here. In fact, they're the second largest ethnic group in Malaysia. I think they form about 20% of Malaysians uh, themselves. Uh, if, if your question is, are they well represented, mm. then yes. I mean, even Indians, we are very well represented in Malaysia. We've had um, a cabinet, many cabinet ministers who are Indians, uh, deputy chief ministers who are Indians. Uh, we have respectable Indians in the police force, in the army, in a lot of administrative places. I mean, the owner of Air Asia is a Malaysian Indian. The owner of uh, Tony Fernandez, you're right, yes. And um, owner oh, of Maxis is a Malaysian Indian. So we're relatively very well represented, I'd say. Uh, and the Chinese as well. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. And you spoke of chief ministers and all that. So how does it go in Malaysian states? So I assume that a good number of them are like monarchies. Right. So and some Malaysia of them are not actually, monarchies, fun right? Fun fact, Malaysia is actually one of the only, I think it is the only country in the world where the monarchy is not hereditary. Uh, basically, what I mean is that we have 13 states. Uh, mm -hmm. Out of the 13 states, two of the states don't have, um, sorry, four of the states don't have a monarchy. Uh, so we call the monarch of each state the sultan. Uh, we have, uh, so 13 minus 4, 11. We have 11 sultans. Mm. Uh, Penang, Ma Penang, Malacca, Sabah, and Sarawak don't have a monarch. Uh, they just have w what you'd call a governor in your term, in your country. Penang, Malacca, Sabah, and so Sarawak. They don't Penang have a monarch. And? Um, so the, yes, so the rest of the states have a monarch okay. called the Sultan. And then the monarch of Malaysia itself, they go on a, a five-year term basis. So the, the king of Malaysia changes every five years to the different mm -hmm. sultans of the states. So if, if Johor, the Johor Sultan mm -hmm. is the king of Malaysia, becomes the king mm -hmm. of Malaysia, then five years later, it will move on to another state. So it's the only monarchy in the world that is not hereditary. Uh, mm. It changes every five years. So that's a fun fact about Malaysia. 
Um, but yes, the monarch is very similar to the UK or other yeah. monarchs where um, they're mostly very ceremonial. They are the head of the religion. Uh, pretty much, that's the they are the head of the uh, they are the head of the state. Uh, they are not head of government though. Head of government is the prime minister and the chief ministers. Uh, they control the army. I mean, they're the commander in chief and all that, mm -hmm. which is very similar to the UK and other monarchies. Uh, but other than that, like we have the prime minister and the chief ministers, mm -hmm. which are all very similar to India. Mm. Okay. And the uh, four states like Sabah, Sarawak, Penang and Ake, no, do they, they get a shot to send the no, regional governor as a king as well? Or they never get a shot at all? So those... No. So those what? were, they never get a shot at being the king of Malaysia? Okay. <laughs> I think they should well, consider the, I, I think themselves monarchies no one as would well. entertain that idea because there has been, uh, you know, some pretenders claiming that they're the, uh, they're the son or the grandson of the Malacca king and whatnot, and they're all put in jail because you can't, you can't, yeah, you can't claim that you are a king and then, you know, oh. but, uh, <laughs> no. okay, so no pretenders are allowed. Yeah. Okay. Sad for the pretenders, but yeah. <laughs> and this part that Singapore is so close to your house. So the city where yes, you live so, right now, um, is it just I'd say from my house, Singapore if there's street? no traffic, it'll take about 20 to 30 minutes just to reach Singapore. Uh, yeah. Oh, wow. And No, it's very can, extremely it's accessible. Very accessible. We don't need visa. Don't All need we need is a passport. We can just drive through the causeway. We call it the causeway, which is essentially just a bridge to Singapore. It's a very short bridge. Uh, you just take the bridge and then you reach the other side and you just, everything happens in the car. You just pass your passport, they chop it, and then you can go in the country. Um, definitely. In fact, oh, uh, and so you must I used have spent to fly a considerable off, amount of time uh, there. Whenever, whenever we leave Malaysia, we used to fly off from Singapore, not Kuala Lumpur, because it's obviously nearer for us, you know? So, uh, in fact, I have some relatives in Singapore as well. So it's very mm. accessible. And um, yeah. Like I told you, my dad studied in Singapore. My dad's father actually was Singaporean. He came from India in the during the British days, oh. and he settled in Singapore and he gained the citizenship. Oh, and no. well, so he your wished father he went, went to like but NUS no. or uh, NTU or I think something he, like that. I'm not sure really, but I think he he did his secondary school in primary and secondary in Malaysia, and then he came back in Singapore, and then he came back to Malaysia for his uh, uni. Okay, so by the time he was already in Malaysia. So your father kind of like grew yep. up in Singapore, but in his little life, he was all in Malaysia. Okay, that tells a lot. Thank you. And that is amazing. And how do I say? No, I'm, I'm uh, Are you tired or you <laughs> are tired. still good enough to go ahead? Okay, that's great. So yeah, so right now when you see all this and you see that, the world is changing fast and India's interest kind of grows and ebbs and it all goes. And so in future, like, where do you see yourself? Like, do you want to settle down in Malaysia or go to U.S. or uh, United Kingdom? You know, I think I, it's, so it's, what's a, your plan? it's a it's a hard question for me to answer because I really don't have to answer now. Uh, I like to, mm. I like to think of myself as a very free-minded <laughs> person. I hate to plan. I like just see where everything takes me but at the moment like i'm still in my first year of uh, mm. uni in the uk 
uh, obviously, as soon as I graduate, I'm going to apply for jobs in the UK mm. itself mm. and then see what happens after that. But, um, you know, I, I always tell my dad this, that, mm. and he, he does not entertain the idea at all. He, in fact, does not want me to do this. But I always see myself uh, working in India, in fact. Um, I'd love to. I mean, I mean, we do have the OCI. Yeah, you can is, come um, in very easily. Citizen. Yeah, we do have the OCI card, so it's, yeah. it's very accessible yeah. to me. OCI card. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I would love to come back to Malaysia and help and um, help my country and also India. I mean, whatever, wherever it takes me, I'm really fine with it. I, I'd like to think of myself as just going around the world without thinking mm -hmm. much, you know. Yeah, I'm sorry for interrupting you. You were yeah, telling so us about the OCI card. Yeah, so basically the OCI card is just, um, I think it's overseas yeah. citizenship of India where Indian nationals, uh, in, sorry, no, in uh, mm. non-Indian nationals with Indian heritage, they get to apply for this OCI card and they don't have to come into India with a visa and they get several other benefits. So yeah, that's pretty much it. Mm. Hmm. So yeah, I guess it also comes with the work permit, yes. right? You are free to work and study in India without any restrictions. So yeah, that, so it should be pretty easy for you to work. Maybe well, as an economist. I, I hope that comes through. Thank uh, you. Big investment bank in India sometimes. <laughs> and then you can maybe write something. You know, I, on the I lines do of see Jimoni, myself going to the corporate world from the other as side. soon as I graduate. But then I think I'd like to transition more to public policy and writing. <laughs> Uh, you know, I'd love to write about uh, a book on Indian history and stuff like this in the in at the you know at the end of my career. Hmm. So you have uh, that's a good plan. And if I may ask, uh, because your house is so close to Singapore, uh, does Lee Kuan Yew have a yeah. good influence on Malaysian politics um, in general? Or he's really, I mean, he is a very big yeah, father figure for Singapore. Uh, in fact, he's very much attached to Malaysia, I'd say, because he was the one that uh, negotiated the the release of Singapore from Malaysia. I think release is a very it's a wrong word. Maybe the separation of Malaysia from uh, Singapore from Malaysia. Um, I think he has a very iconic video. If you if you go on YouTube and you uh, just type Lee Kuan Yew like separation speech or something like that, uh, he goes on national TV and he cries. You know he. He really didn't want that to happen, but you know, circumstances uh, made Singapore leave Malaysia. Uh, I wouldn't say he had a big influence. Uh, maybe he did have a big influence. I was just too young, or I wasn't born in those days. But now, you know, I mean, even Singapore has had um, two other prime ministers after him, and we've really moved on. So, well, he does live in legacy. Like he does live in his. Uh, you know, he really gave yeah. a lot of new policies and he really brought the country up um, and people look up to those, but I wouldn't say it affects us on a day-to-day -day basis. Hmm. That was great. Uh, well, I'd like to thank you so much, Sachin, and it was great talking to you and learning so much from you. Uh, uh, well, anything you'd I'm like to really tell grateful that you're having me. Listeners? I hope you'll have me more. Uh, more things to talk about. Yeah, no, I, I, I think of it's course. a great thing you're doing. You it's know, such a joy uh, to talk to you. from all over the world and listening to their stories. But yeah, if there's one thing I'd like to say, it's just, you know, never be afraid of knowledge. Always try to read. Uh, follow me on Twitter for sure. <laughs> uh, 
Um, and to all the Indians out there, sorry? Yeah. Oh, ha yeah. So my yeah, Twitter go handle ahead. is Just Do give your handle as well. It's S H A C I N D. I think it should pop out the first thing. Um, and yeah, to all, to all the Indians listening out there, um, please read, <laughs> read your history, read your literature, read more about who you are and where you've come from. Don't listen to Western narratives. Try to make your own narratives. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. I hope uh, I'll speak to you soon. I hope you'll have me more on this uh, yeah yeah maybe we can even have our own podcast with you and me definitely all talking you know, about southeast asia about. Yeah, and sure. west about the world around that. us yeah 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 sure let's think about it sometime and would you like to give us any of your books uh, okay. or movie suggestions you know, series, and recommendations you really shouldn't ask me because i am a sucker something for that you're reading right now you know really bad reality tv <laughs> um, but if you if you want books, I'd say, uh, <laughs> you know, these are some Indian books that everyone should read. Mm. I think most Indians in India should read. You should read um, Sanjeev Sanyal's, all his books, Ocean of Turn, Land of um, Seven Rivers, uh, Ideas of India, and all these books that really talk about India. And he, has, he even has a mm. book predominantly on Southeast Asian history. Uh, yeah. So you should read Sanjeev Sanyal. You should read... Um, Southeast Rajiv Malhotra's yeah. Breaking uh, India. It's, it talks about you know different forces that always try to break India. You should read uh, Bibek Debroy. He's one of the only uh, translators that translated you know all the Mahabharata Ramayana. He translated a few Puranas. He translated the Hari Mamsha, uh, and it's all unabridged. So you should read that. Uh, please read um, Kautilya, who is also known as Chanakya. Also read uh, Prasenjit Basu's um, Asia Reborn. You know, he has a lot of Southeast Asian themes. In, and basically what he talks about is how, you know, how we, they always talk how Japan was the aggressor in World War II. He gives you a different perspective. You know, he says the countries that were ruled by Japan are actually more, uh, flourish more now than the countries that were ruled by Britain. So that's a really good um, book. But yeah, I mean, mm. these are just some authors. Um, mm. But I think most importantly, read Indian literature, read our Upanishads, our Vedas. There's so much knowledge. Um, but yeah, I mean, I haven't read most of them, but I, I will read them when I have uh, time. I mean, I have a lot of free time now with all this Corona thing going on, you know. <laughs> movie, I, I'm sorry, dude. I really don't watch movies. So I should watch movies. And any movie recommendations? <laughs> Documentaries, okay, go to Netflix, watch um, <laughs> my language, maybe. But there's a documentary called Don't Fuck With Cats. It's really good. Um, it's a serial killer kind of documentary. Um, watch Ancient mm. Aliens for sure. It's on History. Uh, it's on H okay. History Channel. It talks about um, different like ancient monuments and how they might, how extraterrestrial beings or what you may loosely call aliens uh, might have came and built them and how, how they've... Um, gone uh in recent history so that's a must but yeah that's the most i can think of now but yeah mm. well that is great and how do i say i learned so much and i need to go through the internet now and check out all that you said yeah. so that i can read a few things and when you mentioned sanyal right uh, and before that, when you said when you retire, you want to write books <laughs> in Southeast Asia and all. I you know, back then I thought, oh, 
Sanyal is doing that. Yes, exactly. How can you mention Sanyal? Because one of my the, idols, I'd say, because he went into corporate, like in he was a banker for and five years, and then he went into the government, and he's writing all these kind of books. Yeah, so. yeah, hmm. yeah. Because when I saw his trajectory, right, exactly. I'm like, man, he went to corporate world, nothing to do with social science or humanities. Then he went to government, and then he's writing yeah. such amazing books. that everybody is saying because even in universities right though there's one flaw in academics they mm-hmm. sometimes write books and then they think exactly, okay how yeah. can i make it a bit boring so that people really accept it as an academic work and if i make it a bit boring then my peers would consider me to be a greater yeah. intellectual or something and then sometimes they end up making books boring but yeah sanyal books are like super interesting super accessible at the same time they are exactly. They're not far from academia. It's not like uh, Garvey's books, uh, Garvey's books. They're, the books are not like that. These are books it's that you can actually read. read. I think it's also accessible to many people. Uh, journal articles um, and all that. Yeah. But yeah, I agree completely. Yeah. yeah. Well then, have a great day and stay safe with Corona around. And I hope Malaysia comes out of it sooner and... you can have a normal life as soon as possible and it's the same for all the people around the world and all our listeners definitely yes uh, thank you very much for having corona, me please keep listening to our podcast